Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Uh, Today I have Dan Shapiro. He's the CEO and co-founder of Glowforge. They're an iconic 3D laser printer. We're going to talk about generative AI that's used in the uh, creation process of uh, 3D printing, 3D laser printing, and talk a bit about Dan's background and uh, his company. Dan, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, tell me a bit about your background and how you got into uh, 3D printing and married it with uh, AI. Yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride. So, you know, depending on how you count, this is startup number four or so. I started my career at Microsoft working on Windows 98 back in the old days and worked on real networks, ran the real arcade team doing games. I had a company called PhotoBucket that uh, venture backed, uh, ran for about four years. That's still puttering along today, did uh, mobile imaging and uh, image hosting. Um, started a company called SparkBuy, which was comparison shopping for consumer electronics. And Google bought us just six months into that that company's existence. So that was short-lived and interesting. I got to live in the belly of the beast. I worked in the ads team at Google. I was the CEO of a wholly owned subsidiary called Google Comparison Inc. So really get to see wow. how that whole advertising world works from, you know, from right inside. How that's well, before we move on, that's that's very tempting. Any um any insights you're able to share about your time there? Yeah, I will tell you something. For all your listeners who are advertising on Google or, you know, Facebook or or any of the other any of the other major ad vendors, having sat inside in the meetings where everybody was talking about what needed to happen and why, it's been a while, but I don't think this has changed. They really are out to get you. Or or more precisely, they're out to get your dollars. Every decision there is saying, how can we take the attention that we, the uh, vendor of um, of ad impressions, have and get the most pennies for each eyeball? Who will pay the most? How do we get them to pay the most? So while it's true that they do ultimately benefit when, you know, good things happen to you and people buy the product and everything else, they're looking at this, you know, this customer who they know likes to buy things and they know likes to click on things and says, who do we give this juicy customer to? Who's going to pay us the most for it? And they look at every advertiser who's coming in saying that they want to pay and saying, how much can we get them to pay for that impression that's likely to convert? It is absolutely them trying to figure out how to get those dollars out of you and them trying to figure out how to give you spend, uh, invest the least in terms of the impressions you get and uh, the inventory they share to get the most to extract the most dollars. It was fascinating to see. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, actually, I'll tell you the next thing I did, and then I'll jump back because they overlapped, and I'll tell you how they connected. I took a leave of absence and um, developed this board game with my kids called Robot Turtles. It's just a labor of love. It teaches programming principles to kids as young as preschool. And it was something I invented with my twins when they were four, and I thought it was wonderful and fun, and I put it on Kickstarter. Blew up and became, the at the time, the most successful game in Kickstarter history. One of my Uh, close friends actually beat me for that honor and when i say he beat me he beat me by like a factor of 20 and took that title 
That's another fun story, but I'll, I'll put that on the shelf for a moment. But in any case, Robot Turtles was the most backboard game at the time, Kickstarter history. And and I was having a lot of fun with it. And so I, I was a one-person board game company for a year, published it and distributed it. And in the course of doing that, I decided I was going to run some ads. And what was interesting was I, I was running these ads and they had a spectacular click-through rate. It was really impressive. I was running them on the Google network and they weren't converting. And so I called up an old friend and I'm like, help me debug this. Why are people clicking on the ads and not converting? And so we looked in, we dug through the tools and, and the, the tools that were available to me. And then they went and looked a little bit at the back end. Here's what, here's what was happening. I said I wanted to target grownups who had small children in the household. And Google said, you got it. And I said, I want to catch them when they're surfing the web. And there was a little checkbox that was like, and friends. And, uh, and that was also checked which I did not, I did not realize it was on purpose in a very buried out of the way, hard to find location. And so it was showing up on phones fine, but it turned out it was specifically showing up on phones as an ad that was showing in apps. So now you have parents with small kids and in their apps would be this ad for the board game. Well, seems, seems fine unless you have kids and you have a phone in which case what is most of the time that a parent's phone spends running an app? It's the kids. Yeah, the kids. The kids take it out, grab right. the phone, and then they use it. Yeah. And what do they do? They see the little pop-up thing and they click it. And so, when all was said and done, as best I could tell, ninety-five percent of my ad impressions were coming from one kid's app that had a ad, you know, that had the ad unit right next to the button that you had to push to play the game to ensure that the kids would accidentally hit the ad all the time, which would get them dollars for the clicks and make me pay dollars for the clicks and didn't result in a single sale. Yeah, well, I guess they're, uh, yeah, they don't have your interests at heart. I, that is a great summary. They don't have your interests at heart. And so, you know, the, those paid ad networks are, are pretty ruthless and you have to be pretty ruthless about how you use them. And, uh, uh, and, and one, of the, one of the sort of corollaries to that is every time you let them do something for you automatically, every time you put it on autopilot, um, what you're basically doing is saying, now you should give me the worst possible deal that you think will still have me coming back for more. Because they're not actually trying to like, they know if they if they don't give you anything, then you'll quit as an advertiser. Like you need to have some success. They really want to squeeze out every penny they can. You know, if you're willing to bid up to $3, they want you to pay $2.99 in order to to get every penny out of that experience they can. It's adversarial. It's a negotiation. It's just one where the information, if you're not willing to put in a huge amount of work, if you're not willing to take manual control of just about everything, it's one where the information is lopsided. Yeah, well, I heard they go and see your account and change your settings at will too. Don't even tell you. And uh, they just, you know, it just, it just seems like it's become a complete, uh, for lack of a better word, scam. Unless you're really, really, really on top of it. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I'll say it's buyer beware. There's value there to be had, but you have to manage it incredibly carefully. Well, how, do you, got... how do you move on to um, you know, to the three D printing? I don't want to. Yeah, you no, no. If you if you've got long, even though if you if you've got a great product and great ads, it can work. And I'll I'll talk about that in a minute when I tell you about my next adventure. So I was prototyping for Robot Turtles for this board game. And I was trying to look at something to build a deluxe version. I looked at 3D printers, but they were all just doing like plastic spaghetti slowly. And um, everything they made was kind of ugly and didn't seem very useful or covet worthy. 
And I looked at lots of other technologies and I stumbled on this backwater technology that was developed in the 60s and 70s called CNC laser cutting engraving. And it was kind of magical. What well, The devices were awful. They were folded sheet metal the size of a dining room table and they cost tens of thousands of dollars and wound up with a industrial carbon dioxide cutting laser imported from a factory in China installed in my garage. It took me days to get it working and weeks before I could do anything useful with it. And it, you know, it was like having a factory tool in your garage but it made beautiful things fast. And I was kind of smitten. I, I wound up inviting, you know, I'd been through the startup grind a number of times now. So I invited a bunch of entrepreneurs over to my garage. And I was like, I'm going to show you something. And I showed them the beast and they would look in horror. And then I'd make them some like swag for their business and grave their laptop or something like that. And they'd say like, that was amazing. Okay, that was really neat. I wound up reconnecting by going through that, reconnecting with somebody I'd met some years ago. He just had a $110 million exit for his company and had spent the intervening year just kind of chilling out at home. We had lunch and our mutual friend, his CEO, friend of mine, made the introduction and said, Dan, tell him what you told me about that thing in your garage. And I was like, well, I have the laser cutter in my garage. Are you familiar with that? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'm imagining that this technology could actually be used in the home. Fill the promise that everybody was sort of dreaming of with 3D printing, making it fast and easy to create things. And I explained how I thought that could work, how I thought the technology could work today, how I thought it could evolve in the future with AI and image recognition and machine vision and the like, and everything else. I went on and on for like five minutes. And the whole time he just sat staring at me rather quietly. I finished. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. And he said, he turned to uh, our mutual friend, his, his former boss, uh, Rick. He said, Rick, I didn't tell you what I was working on this year. And Rick says, no, Mark, I have no idea what you've been working on. And he, he turned back and said, well, I've spent the last year building a combination milling machine, 3D printer, plasma torch, and uh, laser cutter in my garage. And I said, like, from a kit? And he said, no. That was how I met my co-founder, Mark Goslin. He said, yeah, no, I, I think we could do that. And that, that might be kind of amazing. So Mark built a prototype, shockingly small number of weeks, of this device that we designed. And we started talking about how to take this old technology that was developed in factories and developed by, you know, hadn't really advanced at all in the past four decades and bring the most cutting edge modern technology to bear to make it fantastic. We talked about what it would take to make it simple enough, beautiful enough, easy enough, cheap enough that you could put it in someone's home, that you could put it on their desk, you could put it in, in their garage, even in their living room or kitchen. And that was how we invented the Glowforge 3D laser printer. One of the things I discovered was when I said laser cutter to people, they imagined a pair of scissors and were like, why would I get a laser to cut things? That's not really interesting. 
And so we tried a lot of different terms and 3D laser printer was the one that helped catch people's imagination in terms of understanding what it could do. What can it do? What does it do? What does it make in 3D printing? So it's really incredible because it uses a different technology from traditional 3D printing. Instead of building things up while like squirting plastic layer over layer, it uses a subtractive technology instead of additive, which means you put in a sheet of plywood, hardwood, you put in a piece of leather, you put in something made of stone or metal or glass and a sheet of paper, even a bar of chocolate. And then a powerful carbon dioxide laser cuts and engraves, engraves and sculpts the surface of the material to produce your final product. So you are producing wallets made out of beautiful leather that would look like they belonged at Nordstrom or you know on the shelves of a high-end fashion boutique. You're making lamps out of hardwoods that you could buy from a furniture store that look incredible and stunning. You're engraving stone coasters or wooden cutting boards with pictures of your family or designs that are meaningful to you, a family crest, something like that. There are literally hundreds of materials that you can work with and thousands of designs in our catalog, millions more online for free for download, etc., that you can use to go create just about anything you might dream of. And that ranges from like beautiful cards and gifts to drones with rubber band Gatling guns, you name it. And so what are the, what are the trade-offs? Like if you do an additive method, you know, you can do like complex internal geometries and stuff, but with a subtractive method, what are the benefits? What are the trade-offs, the difficulties? That's exactly it. With additive, you can make any three-dimensional shape that you can design in CAD, which is one of the reasons it's so challenging to use. With subtractive, the things you make are composed out of pieces that assemble together. So for example, I have a dice box that I designed with my kids for, you know, you can drop the dice in and they bounce around and come out the bottom. It's all the sides of the box and some internal pieces that make, the, make it uh, bounce around. There's a hinge and a tray on the outside, and you put in a sheet of plywood, you hit the button, laser is incredibly fast. So about 12 minutes later, you're finished. Our average print time is 12 minutes. The box takes about that long. And then you snap the pieces together, and it's incredibly precise. So each piece has tiny little serrations that let you slide it together, and then it is fixed permanently. You don't even need, need to use glue. And, and to create this beautiful, amazing, you know, engraved and decorated on all sides thing that, you know, if you go buy one online, you're going to pay $50 for it, but you can make it with, you know, just a few dollars worth of raw materials. And so you slide these pieces together and it snaps together. So you can create anything that you can build out of these pieces, but it doesn't do like if you wanted a perfectly smooth base of a particular curvature, um, you wouldn't do that. You could build it out of slices. You could uh, you could assemble it in all sorts of different ways, but you couldn't like a three D printer will let you do the exact curves of a vase, and that's what it uh, that's what those specialize in. What what kind of objects are the most desired that you see from customers? And if you could overlay which ones the machine is best at making, what are those? You know, when we started the company, I said we're going to have to find the one or three or five things that everybody wants to make. And that the things that are like the showcase classic examples, just like you asked, and we couldn't because there's too many things and everybody expresses their own desire and joy in something different. So I'm just going to give you some examples. If I just, if I just look right now at Instagram and I search for Glowforge, it's not stuff we make, just stuff random folks are posting. I see 
a slice of a tree that somebody engraved a picture of their newborn child on. I see acrylic uh, flowers that look decorative. I see earrings and jewelry. I see clothing that somebody made, I think by lasering the material and stitching it together. I see a piece of furniture, that uh, a chair that somebody is sitting on, because you can make truly gigantic, spectacular things. I see a bottle that somebody's engraved. I see a tattoo. It looks like somebody, a temporary tattoo that somebody lasered out and then applied to their their skin. I see a children's game. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's everywhere. I see somebody who has a store who, you know, engraved a custom sign for their store. Somebody who has a leather uh, leather pouches and uh, somebody else with a leather backpack. It is just about everything you can imagine. I can't do it justice, but I absolutely encourage you to type Glowforge into Google or Instagram or Facebook or wherever you happen to be hanging out and see some of the millions of things people have created. Yeah, this sounds very interesting because you're not having to use uh, PLA or certain materials. You're not a 3D printer that's just using metal or sintering. Or it sounds like you use a lot of base materials, leather, plastic, wood, etc. Because it's subtractive, you're able to work on them. So it's, it's like a big paradigm change, it sounds like. That's exactly right. You can use those beautiful natural materials that people use every day. Like there aren't many things I use in my day that are just made out of plastic, which is what traditional 3D printing specializes in, and particularly one color of plastic. And instead, you cool. get the option of these hundreds of materials. That's great. Um, so is this like laser ablation? Like uh, which materials would burn up or be consumed? And which ones can be? Yeah, the laser does actually vaporize or ablate the material just like you described. So you can use a whole host of organic materials, just about anything that comes from nature. You can pick up a leaf and you can laser cut an incredibly detailed cityscape into the leaf. You can take and just about anything made of wood or stone and engrave it. Um, the only things that are really off limits are there's certain chemical plastics. Um, vinyl will damage the laser if you uh, if you use it. And you have to be really careful about materials that you found materials to be sure that the settings are right, so that you don't damage the materials or even the machine. We have our own line of materials uh, called proof grade materials that include plastics and wood and leather and the like that are really high quality materials that are tested. They're tested for safety and they're digitally encoded. So when you put the proof grade material in, it automatically recognizes them and uses exactly the right settings uh, to, for a perfect print every time. But you can go outside, pick up a stone and engrave your family's name in the stone. It is easy and it's it, it's just as fast and easy as what I described. Yeah, very interesting. I've heard in 3D printing, a lot of finishing work is needed. Could your 3D printer, sorry, could your laser etchers or 3D printer laser etchers be used to finish work that is created by other 3D printing machines. So they'd have yet another use. Not really. So if you've 3D printed something, actually, I shouldn't say that. There's some folks who've lasered what they 3D print, but it's less common. It really depends on which plastic you use. What's lovely about using the, the Glowforge is you, you don't have to go through a long, painful finishing step. For example, our proof grade materials are pre-finished, sanded, have a UV catalyzed furniture grade finish applied to the woods. They have a paper coating on them so that they come through the process without any discoloration from the lasering process, you just peel it off and you have an heirloom quality hardwood object that's ready to go right out of the box. I used to do woodworking and I hated the finishing stuff, the sanding and spraying and all that nonsense. So we actually did something that just lets you jump right from one creation to another without having to go through that. Yeah, I mean, from again, from a lot of 3D printing, you know, there's nubs, there's attachment points, there's all kinds of stuff. 
So typically there's a lot of finishing work that has to be done with 3D printing, what I understand. So again, your Glowforge could theoretically, I guess, have adapted, uh, be used to finish products that other 3D printers make as well. Indeed, indeed. And and none of those nubs or, you know, retaining bits or anything like that that you have to pry off. Like you don't have to do that with this manufacturing mechanism. So it just works out of the gate. I promised I would go back and and mention the sort of like the, the time online marketing works. I will tell you, when we launched this product, we did it with a crowdfunding campaign. And it was a 30-day countdown, um, typical of, you know, connected hardware products. We sold over $27 million worth of products, $27.9 million worth of printers in 30 days, which I believe remains a record for the largest 30-day crowdfunding campaign of all time. And while we were doing it, we actually didn't plan to run any ads at all. But during the last two weeks, we said, yeah, let's give it a shot. And it turned out that we could spend $45 on an ad and have somebody place a multi-thousand dollar order as a result. We literally could not pump dollars into ads fast enough. I like I was on the phone with my former colleagues and at Facebook going, please give us an increased limit. Let us give you more money because it, we're just printing dollars here. And that was the case well, because of this. Literally, but almost. Yeah, exactly. We get in trouble for literally printing dollars. But it was a function of the, the like, there's a lesson to be, it was unusual, but there's a lesson to be learned. It was unusual because it was a moment where there was so much excitement, so much passion. There was a time limit. There was a great deal of enthusiasm. But what that means at the end of the day was we had a really great conversion cycle. Like we could put up an ad, somebody would click on it, and there was a high likelihood to buy. And so despite earlier we were talking about, despite all the challenges that those ad vendors put in their, in your way, it was a great deal for everybody. We could make money at it because all the pieces were in place, because we could track it carefully and watch how those dollars came to life. But in, you know, in another time, in another era, when the sales are harder, when it's more difficult to convert, when it's hard to find your customers, that's when the, you know, the CPCs creep up, when the conversion rate goes down, that's when it can, it can reverse. And you can have that robot turtles experience that I described, where you're just throwing dollars after clicks with nothing coming out the other side. I was thinking I'd like to have a, um, coffee shop and one of your machines and when it you know my guys make the lattes that you laser etch a picture of something onto the foam to make it really unique you absolutely can do that that, yeah you absolutely can and in fact some of the things that i've seen people do because it can be hard to put the actual latte in there is i've seen laser engraved marshmallows i've seen laser cut stencils which is way faster than engraving cutting is is like much faster than engraving so they'll laser stencils, even custom stencils, and then dust cocoa or sugar or a cinnamon over the top using the stencil to create a design. Hugely popular prints are laser leather cup holders. So, you know, those disposable cardboard cup holders, making one out of leather that's completely custom. Uh, we even have a beautiful design in our catalog for a laser made pour over coffee maker that is stunning. I have one in my kitchen that I use all the time. Has anyone tried to make um, use this for tattoos on people? Or is that like too insane? I'm sure they have, and it is not a good idea. <laughs> and as somebody who's very concerned about the safety of our product, I'll probably leave it at that. Well, it's an amazing thing you've come up with. What now, based on user feedback and what people are making, do you need to do anything or just let it run from here? Like, what's next? So, as I was as I was talking to you about earlier, this company was born of the idea that we're going to take old technology that's been ignored or neglected or sidelined 
And then we're going to bring the newest developments to this technology and figure out how to use those to unlock it. And, you know, like a lot of things started with a pain point. Since I was a kid, I wished I could draw. Now, I didn't wish enough to actually like take drawing lessons, but I was always doodling and I never liked my doodles. And I, I would have friends who could create these incredible drawings and I was fiercely jealous. I was a geeky kid who played Dungeons and Dragons and other people would like illustrate their characters and I would just look on in envy because there was no way I could do anything like that. Then I married an artist. My wife has a, an MFA and is an incredibly talented artist. And then I had kids and my daughter is a stunning artist and creator and create beautiful and compelling drawings. And I'm just sort of here on the sidelines. I like, you know, I have this laser and it's wonderful and I can use tools to make complex physical objects. But like, what should I put on the side? I don't know. I, photos? I, I couldn't draw to express myself. And then the world of generative art came along. And I looked at this and I was so intrigued. Because Glowforge is all about democratizing access to creation. All about giving people the ability to create what's in their mind's eye in the real world. And here, here was one of these barriers I'd struggled with all my life, how to bring my vision to life, and technology was offering a solution. So our team started working closely on cutting edge of generative AI and understanding how we could use generative AI to go create images, designs, uh, concepts that could actually be translated into physical products. So you could describe what you want and then the software would bring it to life. We released just a few months ago the very first creation like this. And as far as I know, the first case where somebody can describe a physical product and the generative AI can help to bring it to life in a product called Magic Canvas. So part of owning a Glowforge is the ability to take any image that you could ever think of, text, logo, graphic, photo, drawing, doodle, whatever, and put it on almost anything you can imagine, engrave it on your laptop or a rock or a chocolate bar or anything else. But the problem is like, what's the thing you want to engrave? That's the thing that always had me stuck. So with Magic Canvas, you can just describe it. And then we actually use the technology to create a design that is optimized for the laser creation. And that brings that image that you've dreamed of to life. And oh my gosh, customers have been doing such incredible things with it. I'm looking right now on Instagram because I opened it up earlier in our discussion and there is this stunning cutting board that somebody made. They run a store. So this is one of their commercial creations. It's beautiful. It's a lovely photograph. It is an elephant mandala. And I am 99.8% certain they created it with Magic Canvas. That they played around, they described this vision and they generated this image that is now a product that they're selling. And that is so exciting to me that people are able to go create things they never would have been able to otherwise. If you have an object with different geometries on different sides, can you use the software to map the image onto those geometries? It's like you may have a cool idea, but let's say you have a purse and you've got, you know, it's not exactly square or flat or rectangular, it's curved, you know, some spaces have certain dimensions, et cetera. Could you use a machine vision or just put the parameters in of the object and again, have the design created, generated and placed onto the image so you can move it around and resize it, make sure it's 
it looks good once on the, the object. We are thinking about that too. That is an excellent question. In its current form, you can take the creation and you can sculpt it. You can make it the right shape. You can position it using the real-time camera vision over the material you're putting it on, but actually generating something that's the perfect size and shape for where it needs to go. Stay tuned. Anything you've seen created that, um, you know, scares you or just came out of left field and you're like, wow, I have no idea that you can even do this with this. This happens all the time where I see people create something. I'm like, I'll see something with a hashtag Glowforge and, um, and I'll say, well, no, surely that's the wrong tag. And then I'll go look at pictures of how they create it. Even there's a, um, a creator called, uh, I think called the fairy door. And they make these adorable little doors that are like 10 inches tall. And I saw this one. It was stunning. It looks like something a little elf would come out of. And, you know, people buy them at the, at the, at the market and put them on a tree. And it's just a really beautiful thing. But I was pretty sure it wasn't made from Glowforge. It was this incredibly richly textured engraved door set in stone. It looked unbelievably realistic. And uh, it had a tiny little doorknob. And so I, I reached out and I asked about it. Turns out their process was they went to England. They took pictures of all these beautiful doors and barns and antique buildings. They brought them back and they used their Glowforge to create 3D engravings of those doors in miniature after you know, crafting and, and polishing and, and perfecting them. But they made these incredibly deep multi-hour... By the way, Glowforge is really fast. Like a multi-hour print's unusual. They, these multi-hour sculptures with their Glowforge, and then they would cast them in silicone and then make the final products in resin so that they could crank them out fast. And so every one of these was a Glowforge print that was then duplicated over and over and hand-painted to create the final product. I just couldn't even believe it. Or... You know, there. this is one of the most adorable, I can't even believe it, things I ever saw on Twitter. Somebody shot this video and posted it to Twitter of a baby robin that was stuck in the window well. And the mother robin was really upset because she couldn't get the baby out. It had fallen in. And so he literally ran over to his Glowforge and lasered a robin ladder and went over, put the ladder in place, and has video of the little baby robin hopping from step to step while its mom is like airdropping worms and feeding it as it finally got out and escaped safely. Like, it just, yeah, it just blows my mind what people can do. Well, it sounds like it's going to be very important to have, again, eventually a handheld LiDAR device where I can raster over something, get the dimensions, and then have Glowforge make it. Because then in real time, you can replace parts, you can make anything you need, etc. Absolutely. And, you know, there's already a piece of that today. I had, I was at a, at, a, at an event uh, a couple of years ago and somebody, there was a, a concert that was taking place and the violinist had flown in and the bridge of her violin snapped. So the wooden piece in the middle, it's very intricate. It has the, you know, the little divots for each of the strings and a little sort of curlicue thing on either side. And it's sized exactly for the violin. And yeah, there was no violining that was going to happen that way. But she came by and saw that we had a Glowforge at this conference and said, you know, is there any way that we could fix this? And so what we did was we just opened up the Glowforge. We put in a piece of maple, the same wood that the original bridge was made out of, and then took the broken bridge, just pushed the pieces together so it looked like it was whole, and closed the lid. And then with the Glowforge, we scanned it, 
captured the exact shape of the bridge of her violin and carved that back into the piece of maple. And she was up and playing again 15 minutes later. Yeah, how did you scan it? So you do have light, like a LiDAR type system or laser scanning available or not yet? There's there's a camera on board that can image and digitize any uh, anything that you put in the bed. So because the bridge was basically a 2D design, the critical elements was the outline of it. We could capture that, scan it, digitize it, and turn it into a cut file that we could then use to replace it. That's crazy. I was thinking of uh, someone selling a house, let's say, and a video of the house and where it's placed on the land. And, you know, they can make a floor plan using 3D printer. Um, you know, if you get into an accident, you can reconstruct the scene in miniature and have it accurate to scale. You scan and everything. I mean, I guess the possibilities are endless. That is really true. And uh, it's just amazing to me to see what people do. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you another story. And uh, I, I know we're getting a little close on time, but I'll, I'll give you one more. Uh, our head of educational sales, who works with schools, it's now in over 3,000 schools across the country. In her first day, she got her Glowforge arrived. And she said, I am curious, all these people who are making a living with their Glowforge, how hard it is. So she reached out to some friends and said, I'm doing custom engraved cutting boards and showed an example of one that she just created and you know she'd had the thing for a couple of days at this point so no, not any particular expertise she said she was in the cutting board business for two weeks she brought in ten thousand dollars of orders and had to cut everybody off because she was had her laser running 24 7 and couldn't keep up and had her day job to use <laughs> to do but you know was in the cutting board business for those two weeks and that is that is what people find. They get this capability. They bring just a little bit of entrepreneurship or imagination or just, you know, drive and grit to it. And it creates incredible things. It's, it's one of the reasons that this feels like my life's work. I'm getting to help people yeah, be entrepreneurs and create things, which are two of my favorite things. What do you, I mean, I, and I don't mean to bring any negativity into this, but I think it's important. What if people make keys and get access to things they shouldn't? What if people make guns, which I know they've made with 3D printing? Um, you know, what if people make bad stuff? What happens? You know, how would you guys protect yourself from liability? You know, I'm happy to say that in the eight years we've been around, hasn't been a problem. I don't know if it's the amazing customers we have, if it's the kind of, you know, the kind of things that the, the machine is best at versus not, but I've never had anything that somebody's made that's, you know, put us at risk of trouble people really just use it to sculpt amazing stuff in the world around them and you know there's a lot easier ways to copy keys or or get hold of a gun i think so it just doesn't doesn't turn out to be that interesting for our customers for whatever reason mm, gotcha um so where is the best place to see people's businesses actually that are relying on glowforge i mean my favorite yeah, is instagram, instagram but... yeah you know if you go to you'll see one set of people on facebook and one set of people on twitter and you know if you search for glowforge and Instagram seems to be where uh, we have the most of our entrepreneurs posting their incredible work. So the hashtag Glowforge on Instagram, we're approaching 400,000 creations posted to Instagram alone. And that's over, you know, like more than 50 million creations with a Glowforge because we, of course, track those things, but uh, keep track of those things. But you can just see some of the thousands of things that people are creating and selling and gifting right now. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Anything else I should have asked you about this? It just seems like possibilities are endless. You know, again, where is this headed or you don't know, you're just enjoying the ride and seeing what people create. 
our vision is a world where anyone can print anything. That's where we're headed, making it easier and easier for more and more people to create just about anything that they can possibly imagine. So that's, that's the ride we're on. And oh, it is a fun one. Yeah, it's really cool. We give up levels of machine and what do they run in ballpark? Yeah, you can uh, you can pick up the Glowforge Plus for $4,995 or the Glowforge Pro for $6,995. The Pro gives you some really cool features, 50% faster top speed uh, from 40 to 45 watts. And my favorite feature, uh, though, um, uh, enhanced cooling with the solid state cooling unit. My, my favorite feature is the pass-through slot. 20 inches wide and it uses machine vision so you can take an enormous creation we had somebody do a sidewalk stencil that was 50 feet long and just start the print feed it through start the print uh, again feed it through to make things as big as you can imagine Hmm, very cool how do people uh, scan objects what's best to use for that right now people use just about everything you can put it in the glowforge and push the trace button to see it you can use your camera, you can use a, a 3D scanner, you can use an off-the-shelf scanner. Because the Glowforge software uses SVGs and PDFs and JPEGs and these really common file formats, you can use just about anything to get your creative design into it, including, gosh, we have folks who design for their Glowforge using Microsoft PowerPoint, and that works fine too. Excellent. Well, very good, Dan. It's been a great call. It's really interesting to hear about all these things. And I think listeners are going to be very curious and and go look at Instagram and see and envision businesses for themselves and things that they could do with the Glowforge. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. And they can learn more at glowforge.com. I really appreciate the chance to talk today. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.